Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this time. You are very good to us, and you, weekly, you show us different things from the Word, and um, through the preached Word on Sunday, and then during a teaching time here, and then in small groups, um, and then with families just around the dinner table. Lord, you are, uh, you're always revealing new things to us, and the fact that we know anything of you, um, I, I hope that's never commonplace to us. As we learn more about you, and subsequently more about ourselves, um, I pray that it would never become just normal that we get to engage uh, the living God every day, that you are a God who is active in our lives and that you hear our prayers, that you give us the right to pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would never find ourselves in a, in a home where the family doesn't think about the things of God and just worries about getting what each member wants at the time they want it. Um, I pray that this study in Genesis 29 would, in Genesis 27 tonight, would give us uh, insight into that, into um, living together in an understanding way and uh, not being selfish and pursuing what you would have us to pursue. Uh, Lord, I pray for Ben and his family as they're traveling this week. Pray that you would keep them safe and let their time away be uh, sweet, rejuvenating, encouraging. Uh, restful, even though he's preaching on Sunday. Uh, in that, I also pray that you would give him the time he needs to prepare for the message on Sunday. Lord, I'm thankful for all the movement that I see, all the different things that you're doing on so many different platforms, and um, I'm just really encouraged by how great you are. And so we humble ourselves before you tonight, and we pray that you would guide our time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn to Genesis 27. We're jumping back into the dysfunctional family of Isaac and Rebecca, who are forefathers of dysfunctionality. You find your family a little crazy, um, a little uh, odd sometimes. You can usually trace it back to our early ancestors of the faith. We're all a bunch of boneheads who have been redeemed by God for his purposes. And so... One of the themes that we've had as we're going through Genesis is that it's not be like this guy or be like this girl or be like this person or be like this family, but rather we're all generally wicked and we all desperately need Jesus. We're all generally off base. We're all generally selfish. We all generally go after what we want at the time. And the solution to that is not to be like a certain person in the Bible, but to submit to the Lord and to trust the Lord for direction in everything. And we're looking at all these families throughout Genesis, uh, or mainly one family, different generations. And we started, you know, early with Adam and Eve, and then we focused on Noah for a long time. And now we're, uh, we focused on Abraham and Sarah for a long time. And now we're with Isaac and Rebecca and their two sons, Jacob and Esau. And we're seeing God's movement in their family. We're getting kind of this intimate look into the ins and outs of the daily life of um, our, our forefathers in the faith. And so um, God has ordained it that we would know that we wouldn't just have our own little huddles, our own little families that, that are just disconnected from all the others. As members of one another in the church, we have, uh, there's a call to know and to be known. And we have insight into their families in the same way that God calls us to know other families and for other families to know our families and individuals as well. And so um, all this comes together for the purpose of God saying, I'm doing a lot of things and I want you to see all of it and I want you to recount my wonderful deeds. And the only way that you can recount God's wonderful deeds is to see what they are and to experience them and not just in your own life, but in the lives of others. So Genesis 27, I want to read <coughs> the first... Uh, just the first 13 verses. That's what we focused on last week, and then we'll look at some questions. Uh, verse 1, now, uh, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt for game, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Having a little powwow on the side here. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. 
Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I commanded you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, and obey, only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So these were the 13 verses that we focused on two weeks ago in our study. Last week, we just kind of had a time of recounting God's deeds and getting to hear what he's doing in um, different people's lives and rejoicing in that and worshiping him in that. But these first 13 voice, uh, voices, verses, um, in these verses, what's wrong with what's going on in chapter 27? Just in general, what's wrong? Why is this crooked and weird and backwards? Everyone's disconnected. It's all a lie. What are some of the lies that we're seeing? Yeah. Who's trying to deceive who? Everybody. <laughs> yeah, everybody's trying to deceive Everybody. What was God's plan before Genesis 27? What did he already reveal to, um, to Rebecca when she had the two children struggling within her? Yeah, that Jacob would get the blessing, that the older would in fact serve the younger. It's backwards from the laws of nature and the order of nature as we know it. God says, I'm the God of nature and I'm changing things and you need to be okay with it. And here we see a family that is not generally okay with it. And they're disjointed, and there's a lot of um, deceit, and there's a lot of lying, and everybody's trying to get their way, and everyone is, um, it's just not right. It, th this chapter is messed up. When you read this, see, sometimes we have a misconception that we're supposed to read the Bible and say, oh, yes, now I get it. This is one of those chapters where you read it, and you're like, what the heck just happened? This is messed up. This family is making horrible decisions, and God's still doing things. And it shouldn't be that foreign to us because we generally, regularly make bad decisions, and somehow it works out for, the, for good because God is sovereign and we are not. So what's wrong in chapter 27 is that God has said that it will be the opposite of what Isaac is trying to accomplish. And so what we're finding is that Isaac is, in fact, setting himself against God. Why does Isaac aim to bless Esau? He likes him more. That's one thing. Harry, smelly. Those are all reasons he likes him more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a connection between Isaac and Esau uh, that exceeds the connection between Isaac and, and Jacob. Jacob's a sort of a mama's boy, as we've outlined, and he has smooth skin and probably a, a very high voice, and he stays with his mom and helps cook. He doesn't like hunting. Um, and here we see him, he's a schemer, kind of like his mama. And uh, everyone's a schemer, though. Um, and so uh, the other reason is, is, as far as time goes, what, what, is, what does Isaac perceive is the reality? He's going to die. And what do we know about actual reality? Yeah, decades beyond this point. Yeah, it, here he, he's... Really, when you look at the picture, he thinks he's about to die. He simply prefers um, Esau over Jacob, and he doesn't die quickly. He's got many years left. If you look at the picture, he looks like a silly old man who's like saying, I think I'm going to die soon, and you can almost kind of sense he's even faking it to a degree where he's like, bring me food that I may eat and bless you before I die, when he's got decades left in his life, and he's trying to get things to go the way he wants them to go because ultimately he wants to give over power to Esau which in reality is probably more comforting to him and every other man saying, I don't really want to give it over to the mama's boy. I want to give power of the family over to the guy who can hunt and take care of the family and who is manly. And uh, so these boys that we're talking about in this, in this chapter, how old are they? Yeah, 40 to 50 years old. So the other point is when you see Come here, Jacob. Come here, little Jacob. Here's our plan. It's just even more awkward when you realize these guys are like 40 and 50 years old. They're grown men. And he's covering himself in goat hair to trick his daddy. It's just completely awkward. Um, yeah. Now, um, the, the idea of Isaac in all this, mm -hmm. I guess it, the way we're talking about it is a little different because we, we had to assume he knew. Mm -hmm. 
how this is going to go. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Rebecca knew. Yeah. But did Isaac know? Yeah. There, there's, there's some... <laughs> Uh, in different commentaries, they, most of them would assume that within a family where you're supposed to be walking with the Lord, that you would know what the Lord would, has ordained for the family. One of the things we're actually going to talk about tonight is the fact that um, if he didn't know, I mean, certainly Rebecca knew, they're supposed to be in a, living in an understanding way with each other. So if he doesn't know, there's a problem. And so um, whether he knows or not, I tend to assume that he knew, um, especially since there's so much preference to Esau. Um, but... Uh, with the house being divided the way it is, uh, there is a bit of an assumption there. We can't say for certain that he knew, but even if he doesn't know, they're supposed to be living in an understanding way with each other. And so they would point to there's, there's problems, there's massive issues here. And, and it is going against what God's, um, one of the things that we'll see. It is a big event. A huge event. You need to let her in on all this. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Yeah, and Esau's being, or uh, Isaac's being secretive here. He calls Esau over and says, Esau, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. And so it's all wrong. It really is. And in general, you can say, well, just because you didn't know it was what God wanted, God wants things a certain way. And we can't sin and say, oh, well, I didn't. I didn't know. And so. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, he spoke, God spoke to Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There may be something yeah. he's thinking. Maybe she's just scheming. Yeah. You know, so he didn't get a direct word from God. Yeah. And he's thinking, I want my first one. Yeah. You know, I want the oldest. I want, yeah. I want the man's man, not the yeah. third man. Yeah, there's, there's so much in this chapter that, and even at the end when Esau's like, bless me too, and Isaac's like, No. This, it is what it is. There's a lot that we'll get into there in the coming weeks. But yeah, there's confusion here. But ultimately, um, it is wrong. It is not what God has ordained. And so um, this, uh, the boys are 40 to 50. Who, okay, who's generally forgotten in this passage? God. God is generally forgotten in this passage. You don't see anyone saying, um, well, you see God mentioned. We'll get to that in a few verses. But it's not, he's not mentioned the right way. Um, the aim becomes who can sin more efficiently. It's Rebecca listening in and saying, oh, he's going to do it this way, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it this way, and we're going to get this done the way we want to get it done so that he doesn't get it done the way he wants to get it done. And it's all very self-seeking, and it's very inwardly focused. If Isaac catches Jacob, why would it seem like he was mocking his father? Because he is, yeah. It, it, it would seem that way because he is mocking his father. It's, it's a foolish statement. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself. Your father, the old blind guy, you're covered in goat hair. You've gone to quite the extent to be deceitful. And so you don't just seem like you're mocking him. You're absolutely mocking him. This is backwards. This is not the way it's supposed to be. One of the things we finished this last uh, section with was that um, we end up with the reality that parents are supposed to listen to God and then children are supposed to listen to parents. Um, our, our thing that we're going through with Ella right now is Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents and in the Lord for this is right. Obey your parents and the Lord. The idea, the general biblical principle that God has shown us is mom and dad, you're supposed to obey God. You're supposed to know what God wants. You're supposed to know what God says. And you're supposed to speak of that regularly, regularly in your home. And then when your parents are obeying you, there's an understanding there. There's, there's a connectivity through it all that they're obeying mommy and daddy who are obeying God. And so it's all for the glory of God. Now here it gets totally out of hand. And what we see that is a parent who is willing to abandon God's plan for their own plan is usually a parent who will lead their children to do the same thing. If you're willing to say, I don't care that that's God's plan, or I don't care that he's promised us, we're going to do it our own way anyway, we're going to make sure this happens, um, a parent who will do that is usually a parent who will lead the child to do the same thing, or at least model it for the child. What we have here is that if you submit to God and you let your children observe that submission, you're going to have a better opportunity to say, look, even though it was hard, we trusted God and we endured and we're called to persevere. That's the essence of the Christian life. We follow in Christ's model. And so that we're going to do this. We're going to do the right thing because it's what God wants. 
then you have an opportunity when it comes time for them to choose whether they're going to do right or wrong. You can say, mommy and daddy modeled this for you because God's really good and you have a better opportunity to teach them. But if you have only modeled for them and even led them in turning from God's ways to embrace your own ways, then what you've actually taught your child is that it's okay to disobey if it's necessary, which is not something any of us want to teach our children. You're teaching your child, okay, um, Sometimes there's hard situations and you just got to do what you got to do, whether God approves of it or not. You're teaching them it's okay to be disobedient to the Lord when it is necessary. And you're the one who defines when it's necessary, which is totally unbiblical. It's backwards. And so um, there's a real mess here in the, in the household. And I couldn't, we're going to go on with the chapter, but I want to take a little bit of a side note to explain, since it's so not supposed to be this way, mommy playing child against daddy who's deceitfully blessing the wrong one and all this deceit and all these lies. It's not supposed to be this way. Turn over to 1 Peter 3. Keep your finger in Genesis. We'll come back to it shortly. But in 1 Peter 3, I was studying this just on the side today and uh, because I need to be a better husband. And uh, and then I just saw this intersection point with, with what we're studying here, and I just wanted to bring it together. There's, there's definitely a sobriety that comes along with parenting. Um, there's a lot of parents that will speak in a certain way, a lot of adults that will speak in a certain way, and then the child comes into the house, and you all of a sudden find yourself having to not speak in those ways that you may have spoken before the child was near. You find yourself, uh, there may be something on TV that, oh, it doesn't matter. I know that those words are no problem. But then you find your three-year-old sitting with you, and you can't hardly find anything that's okay to watch, and you just turn it off and be done with it. And so there's a sobriety that comes along with parenting. And, uh, and I, I'm trying to speak. Uh, I, don't ha- I don't have to try. Uh, I, I'm not someone who has parenting and family totally figured out at all. And in fact, a lot of what I'm about to share comes from just me being a bonehead even in this last week. And so um, there is a certain sobriety that comes along with parenting where you have, to, you have to reconsider and say, okay, that's shining light on the fact that I'm being disobedient in this area of my life because I want to lead my child in the right way and we got to make adjustments within the home to make sure that we are a family who fears the Lord, a family who understands his ways and who wants to lead our children in that. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, And we're going to focus on verse 7, but I'll read 1 through 7 for context. It says, likewise, and likewise is referring to submission to authority, um, submission to governing authority, slaves submitting to masters. And then in chapter 3, it says, likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What this is saying is that you want, you want your adorning to be a spiritual thing. You want your adorning to be an inward matter. It's not saying don't braid your hair, um, because it also says, or the putting on of clothing. You're supposed to put on clothing, obviously. Um, but the point is, is that your adorning is the hidden person of the heart, And um, as I'm reading this, just be mindful that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. The beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Um, And you and her children, uh, if you do good and do not fear uh, anything uh, that is frightening. Likewise, verse 7, important. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. One of the things that we don't see uh, in chapter 27 is communication with the Lord. Um, There's probably plenty of things in that chapter that are like, no, he did not just say that, which is why I said all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Um, we don't, you, women don't have to go home and start calling your husband Lord. That's not the point of the, the chapter. But if they want to, you go right on ahead and live it up. <laughs> You're going to put it on your to-do list? That's good. Um, but what you don't see in chapter 27 is much Lord ought. Terrifying. Um, yeah. 
So in chapter 27 of Genesis, where you see this really dysfunctional family set up, you see um, issues in the home where there's bad communication, what you don't see in all of chapter 27 is anyone speaking to the Lord. We speak to the Lord in prayer, and we listen and hear from the Lord in prayer. And in chapter 27, you see everybody about their own things, and it seems that their prayers are hindered. And what, since we have the view of the whole scope of Scripture, we can kind of stand back and look at it and say, oh, okay, their prayers were hindered just like God said they would be. And what this says in 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What God is communicating in that chapter is that the way that you live with your wife, the way that you communicate with her, the way that you try to provide as a man an environment in your home that is an understanding environment matters in a big way. Because what God is saying is that if that's not there, your prayers will be hindered. What God is saying is, I'm a God who cares so much about the way that your marriage is that I will hinder your communication with me if that's not right. So if you're in a season where you're like, man, my prayer life stinks. I just can't sit. I don't want to pray. I'm not motivated to pray. When I pray, I don't feel like I'm hearing anything. I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. You may first look at your marriage because God is saying here that he cares so much about the way that your marriage is, that it is in right order, that there is an understanding living together, that there is good communication that your prayers will, in fact, be hindered if there's not. And it's an understanding way. I was, when I look at this, uh, I was reading this because I've been not living with my wife in an understanding way in the last couple of weeks. I've been generally impatient and uh, not understanding. And so I look at this verse, and I'm like, okay, likewise. Husbands, it's good when there's a verse that's really familiar to you. I know this verse. I've read this verse. I've taught this verse. But then when you're reminded of it, it's just like getting punched in the face. You're like, mm, I needed to be reminded of that verse I knew so well. But likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. What usually causes you, well, let me hear from y'all. What normally would cause y'all to not be living in an understanding way? From the unmarried guy, lack of communication. <laughs> that was good. You were on it. That's, that's very true. <laughs> All the married people are like, I don't know, what is it? He's like, I'm watching them. They're not communicating well at all. Yeah. What are some things that would cause you to not be living together in an understanding way? Self-centered. Pride. Lack of worship. Yes, yes. It's a worship issue, not just a communication issue. Stress. Lack of faith. Selfishness, too much overtime. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, the, when I was looking at this verse, I'm thinking, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. When I'm frustrated, it's generally because I don't understand her. I'm like, live in an understanding way. Well, I don't understand her, what she's thinking, how she gets to that point. I would have gotten to this point. She got to this point. We're in different points. I understand me. I understand my reasoning. I understand the way that I would get to a certain conclusion, I don't understand what she's doing. So to live in an understanding way, it's like, but the problem is lack of understanding. What do I do with that? And, uh, and so I look at this and I'm saying, live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? And what I, th what I think is something we need to see here is it doesn't just mean husbands, just do what your wife says. Just roll over and do what your wife says or else you're going to really suffer. I don't think that's what this is saying. And I, I also don't think it's saying husbands, you're the head of the house, so you rule with a heavy hand. And wife, you just shut your pretty little mouth and, and listen to the husband. I don't think it's either of those things. It's not a matter of only the husband's way being understood or only the wife's way being understood. 
What this says is live together in an understanding way. The environment of the home is an environment of understanding. In Genesis 27, we don't see that. We see Rebecca has her plan, and Isaac has his plan, and they got, they've both procured allies to try and brave the storm in their children, and they're trying to just make it happen. And so what we're called to is not just to make sure you're understood, but to make sure you're, you understand. That there's, within the home, within a husband and a wife, you have to, there's got to be, I want my wife to know what I mean and where I'm at and how I feel, even though I'm horrible at communicating how I feel. Um, but I want that to be understood. In the same manner, I want to understand where she's at. I want to understand how did you get to that point? How did we both end up here? With some discussion, with some understanding, we can figure out where all this middle ground is and what happened. And really what's happening there is that instead of trying to, okay, well, let's just make a sacrifice and meet in the middle. What we're really called to is to abandon our wants, to die to ourselves, and to submit to what God would have for our family. And so the way is not so much a middle way as it is a higher way where it's, okay, well, what does God want for us? Let's understand who we are in light of who God has told us he is. Let's understand, let me understand your role in light of what God has shown us. What I was thinking about is I don't want to be that old couple that hates each other. Not that we even remotely hate each other now. This probably sounds way worse than it is. But I'm, I overthink that, I overthink a lot of this. But I don't, you know that old couple that makes every holiday uncomfortable because all they do is talk bad about each other? Where it's like, seriously, did he just say that about his wife and she didn't even get mad? She was just like, mm, he's an idiot. I don't even care what he says anymore. You know, like that the, the old couple that they're so, what generally happens is that as we progress in age, we become more set in our ways if we're not directed Godward. And so as you get older, well, this is how I like things. This is how I like things. Really, if you mess this up, I'm going to be mad because this is how I like things. And as you get older, you can become more set in your ways. And if the home is not a place where you're living together in an understanding way, in a way of understanding, then you have a husband who's really set in his ways, and the older he gets, he's just more set in his ways. Then you have a wife who's really set in her ways, and the older she gets, she's just more set in her ways. Then you have two people who are 80 years old, still married, and hate each other, yell at each other in front of the grandkids, and it's really awkward, and they make it awkward for other people. And it becomes this sort of laughable thing where it's like, oh, well, their, their marriage is very healthy, <laughs> and, but they're screaming at each other and calling each other names. She's an idiot. Give me something to drink. You know, whatever. And um, what you see there is just two people who are not aiming to live in an understanding way with each other. But the point is, is that you're so steeped in the way that you want things and the way that you think it needs to be that, of course, as time progresses, you're not going to understand the other person at all because all you're focusing on is the way you want it the way your plan needs to be carried out. I get home at this time, I want dinner at this time, and I want it to be like this, and we go on vacation to this place and no other place ever. And, and it's like, the more you're just trying to persevere in your own desires and wants, of course you're not going to understand the other person because you don't spend any time understanding them. You spend more time frustrated at the fact that they don't understand you. And so this picture in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to her as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Your prayers will be hindered if all you're doing is wanting your own stuff in the way that you want it and the time you want it. But if you're submitting together... Submitting to one another, holding each other accountable, communicating with each other, and coming before the Lord in prayer together, which is really important. That's part of the reason that I came to this verse this week. I was like, man, I'm just not doing a good job leading my wife in prayer. That's about all there is to it. Why are my prayers hindered? Oh, yeah. Look at what the verse says. And so what we would see if this were being applied to Genesis 27, you'd see two people who were generally communicating more and looking to the Lord and looking to themselves less. And so, um, that was a side note. Go back to Genesis 27. Verses 14 through 17. Well, we'll read through 25 and then pick back up. Verse 14 says, So he went and took them. This is, he is Jacob. And Jacob is doing exactly what mama said. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. So at least she knew what kind of food he liked. There was at least some communication. 
or observation. Um, Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, her younger 40, 50-year-old son. She put them on him. So awkward. And the skins of the young goats, and the skins of the, this gets even crazier. This is a weird section of scripture. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Weird. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he's been dressed by his mommy. He's been goat-haired by his mommy. And now he's being standing there with his hands open and she puts the stuff in his hands. Verse 18. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Interesting. Bam. Dad starts off with, Which one is that? Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. That's not good. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. He seems a little hesitant. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau, my goat son. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Verses 14 through 17, that meticulous, uh, he went and took them, brought them, the goats, to his mother. His mother prepared the delicious food exactly in the way that daddy would like it. So good, in fact, that she's made goats taste like venison. Then Rebekah took the garments of Esau, her older son, the best garments of Esau, her older son, and then she put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats she put on his hands, not too much, Not too little. We want him to be like Esau, not just covered in goat hair. We want to be meticulous. And the skins of the young goat she put in the hands of the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. Thoroughly thought out sin. Thoroughly thought out sin. Very meticulous in how you're going to stand efficiently to get what you want. If this passage seems ridiculous to you, it should. This is not the way the Christian family is called to live. A believing, God-fearing family does not live like this, where mommy and daddy are playing favorites, making important decisions behind each other's backs, one parent playing one child against another parent. Consider how meticulous their sin is. A lot of times we try to blame our sin on thoughtlessness, just mere thoughtlessness. Oh, I wasn't thinking. I'm so sorry. You can't blame your sin on thoughtlessness. This is pretty meticulous here. Um, You can blame it on thoughtlessness as as though uh, we just didn't think things through and we accidentally sinned. The problem with that thinking, like I love how it's so, all the details are included here. So we can't be like, oh, Rebecca just had a brain fart and messed up and she'll make it right. We can't say that because all these details are included. And so the problem with blaming it on thoughtlessness, like, oh, well, I just got caught up in the heat of the moment. No, you didn't. You went to the closet. You picked out the best clothes. You saved the goat hair. She slaughtered the goats. Thought, oh, this feels like Esau. Put the goat hair aside. Said, come here, Jacob. I'm going to put this on your neck. Like, it's very meticulous and thought out and very weird. And uh, the problem is, is that if we blame it on, oh, I just wasn't thinking. I got caught up in the moment. The remedy then is not repentance. The remedy is just to think things through better next time. You see, you see how you can write off your sin if you, if you say that. Um, this is wrong. When you sin and you just oh, I just wasn't thinking. I'll make. Th- I won't do that next time. Then the, the remedy to that is not repentance because you haven't identified sin. You've just identified oh, I wasn't very thoughtful in that. And so the remedy is just, just be more thoughtful next time. When in fact you're called to put sin to death. You're called to say, I have sinned. I'm going to confess it. I want there to be healing. I want to be reconciled with God. I want to repent from the sin. And I want to kill sin in my life. You're called to put sin to death, not to dabble in it and not to write it off to thoughtlessness. A lot of times, our sin is just as thought out as this. 
killing the game, preparing it deceitfully, picking out the best garments, camouflaging reality in place of what you want the other person to see so that you can gain that which you wish to gain. Um, What we're seeing here is just misrepresentation for honest gain. And I'll say it because it's tax time. Um, We could do this with taxes really easy. And taxes aren't like, we're in church. Why is he talking about taxes? We're called to glorify God in everything. And just ask, what goat skins are you putting on your tax return? Make sure that it's not misrepresentation. Because there's so many areas where we can misrepresent things for the sake of dishonest gain. So just the new title of the study is don't put goat skin on your tax return. Um, And in verse 17, mommy places into the hand of her 50-year-old son exactly what he needs to deceive his daddy and steal the blessing. And verse 18, so he went into his father. It is game time. Verse 18 is the part of the chapter. It's like, all right, we prepared all this sinful, deceitful stuff. It's goat time. Let's saddle up. I got my goat hair. I got mommy's dish. And I'm going to go to dad, and I'm going to try and fool him. It's go time, game time. Here's what's interesting to me is that in verse 18, it says, So he went into his father and said, My father. And his dad said, um, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Who are you, my son? What do we see here? What opportunity does Jacob have right here? To come clean, to repent, to be truthful. It's game time, and oftentimes in our journey down a path of sinfulness, Our path on sinfulness. The path down sinfulness is a diversion from a path of faithfulness. When we're being sinful and we're going down that path, we're going further and further away from being faithful in what God has called us to. And we're going to encounter opportunities to repent, to call off the evil plans. Here, right from the get-go, it's like, I'm dressed up in clothes that aren't mine with hair on my neck that's not mine and food that I didn't prepare and I'm going to go lie about all of it. And right off the bat, it's, who are you? And he could have come clean. He had a perfect opportunity for repentance. I pray that when we are in sin, when we are dishonoring the Lord by our disobedience, when we're misrepresenting the truth for dishonest gain, I pray that we would see those grace and mercy-filled opportunities along the way to repent. Because we are hard-hearted, we're stubborn, and generally when we get our mindset on something, I'm, just, I'm not stopping until I get what I want. And we're given these opportunities to repent. We're going to see a, a load of them through this study to call off the evil plans. But many times we try to sin our way out of sin. You can't sin your way out of sin. It doesn't work that way. You're just called to repent. Stop it. Turn around go the other way. That's what repentance is. Quit it. Don't dabble in it. Don't try to sin your way out of the previous sin with the better, more efficient sin. It, it doesn't work like that. That's, sin makes you stupid. Adam and Eve hid from God behind a tree. Sin makes you stupid. It's now not only have we sinned against God, let's sinfully hide from him behind this tree. Foolishness, utter foolishness. You cannot sin your way out of sin. And we use excuses like, well, I've already gone this far. When you find yourself saying, well, I've already gone this far, it's a perfect time for repentance. Perfect. It's a perfect opportunity. Because what you're saying is, well, I've already done this amount of disobedient sinfulness, and I might as well repent, not persevere in the sin. In reality, Jacob is in the presence of his father, and he immediately has this chance to repent and come clean, and he doesn't. And look at verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Rather than repentance, we see perseverance in sin. Uh, Jacob has his eye on the prize. And we see six lies in one verse. I mean, he just comes at it full speed ahead. Six lies in one verse. What are the lies? In verse 19, I am Esau, one, you're firstborn, two, lie, Uh, I have done, lie, mommy cooked it, as you told me, lie, dad didn't tell him anything, now sit up and eat of my game, lie, it's not your game, it's a goat from out back, that your soul may bless me, lie, it's not supposed to be that way, you see six lies, bam, 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 he's good at it, 
He's got his eye on the prize. He wants that blessing, and he's going to procure it however he has to. And it's not faithful. It's not right. Isaac, um, well, blinded by the pursuit of self-promotion, uh, Jacob shows complete disregard for what is right. We got to see that. You had an opportunity to repent. What did you do? You told six lies in like one sentence. And so um, in, in promoting his own wants, his own desires, we see he just has total disregard for what's right. And then in verse 20, um, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. This like, I read this, I just kind of wanted to scoot away from that. Worried about lightning striking. That's crazy. He just brought God in on it. He just used the name of the Lord to lie. He just said, God did it when God didn't do it. That's bad. In case there's any lack of clarity for believers, that's bad. It's just flat out wrong, sinful, bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that appeals to what he wants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, at this point, his relationship with God doesn't go much further, apparently, than I'll use him to get what I need or perceive that I need. I'll, I'll, I'll appeal to your God, Dad, if that gets me my blessing, is essentially what he's doing here. And Isaac is interesting. He tries to shed some light on what seems to be inconsistency. Here, Jacob is presented with another opportunity to repent. He has another opportunity to repent right here. Instead, he combats the light with more darkness. Um, this is what we do when we're sinfully persistent. If you're in the dark and the light shines in, you try to just combat it with more dark. It's like if you're lying and someone says, I think you're lying. And you're like, no, I'm not. I've never lied in my life. And you start telling more lies. That's trying to combat darkness, trying to combat light with darkness. And it doesn't ever work that way. That's not, you will be completely unsuccessful in that. You'll only prove the truth that you're running from. Uh, many times in scripture, one of the things that we see like, you see, just bam, lie, uh, lie, 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 lie. And uh, it was your God who blessed me. That's why I'm here, because God's good. Man, that's bad. Many times in Scripture, we see that smaller sins, when not repented from, will give birth to bigger sins. You, you see that in Scripture. It's, this, this is some, some tactic to try and scare you, like, if you're sinning a little, you're going to be a wicked heathen next week. We're all generally wicked heathens that need to be rescued from ourselves, from our sin, every day. His mercies are new every morning because we have the ability within ourselves, or apart from God, to really screw everything up. And we need God desperately every day. But what we see here is that smaller sins, when you don't repent from them, it'll open the door to another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. Consider Lot. Lot, at first, he just seemed like kind of the annoying, freeloading nephew of Abraham. And then they go in the story, and Abraham says, okay, well, our, our herdsmen are quarreling. Which way do you want to go? And Lot seems to be self-serving, and he says, I'll pick the, uh, the luscious valley. Yeah, I'll go over here where there's good stuff. Father Abraham, good luck. And so he seems a little self-serving. And then he finds himself in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's, he's just mingling with the locals. And then at the end of the story, he has impregnated his daughters in a cave. Wicked, gross, disgusting. When I say that, you should be like, oh, nasty, because it is. It's horrible. But the smaller sins, there was no repentance. There was no remorse. Even when the angels said, the Lord's going to blow this place up, wipe it off the face of the earth, run for your life. He said, okay, I'm going to take a nap. And he napped. Foolishness. Sin makes us very, very stupid. So when we see those sins, we see even a small sin, small sin. You like how I'm using small and large as if there's different types, seemingly smaller and seemingly larger sins. Repent when God gives you that awesome opportunity. Abraham and Isaac did the same thing. You, you go from, uh, God told us not to go there, but there's a famine, so we'll go to Egypt because there's going to be more supplies there. And while we're there, ooh, these guys are pretty rough looking. Sweetheart, let's say you're my sister, one thing leads to another. They both did it. Um, Isaac uh, answers his father's question because the Lord your God granted me success. This is bad. Isaac has included the name of the Lord in his lie. He's treating something of high regard with disrespect. This is profanity. This is using the Lord's name in vain. You're treating something of high regard with disrespect. And um, sadly, this is a lot easier than we think. Um, it's easy to look at these 
stories in the Bible and say, oh, what an idiot. I can't believe you did that. Saying that God was leading you in a direction that he never was is the same thing. Saying that, oh, well, God said it was okay. I prayed about it and he really wants me to be happy. So I'm going to totally disobey what the word says because God wants me to be happy. That's the same thing. I generally see this uh, in a, a number of areas. Usually it's in relationships where it's um, people are unequally yoked or people are married and now they're not happy or um, there's a lot of different ways we can do this and no matter what you do, it's, it's just not right. Um, I've talked to a lot of teenagers that they're in a relationship and oh, I just love them. Doesn't God want me to be happy? No, he wants you to repent and stop doing that. It's wrong. Um, saying that you have really prayed about it and God's telling you to do something that he would never permit is totally wrong. Um, and we can do that pretty easily. I want us to be sober-minded in this because I don't want us to just look at this and say, whoa, man, oh, they're really going to great lengths to get what they want. We can do the same thing any moment of any day. Verse 21, uh, interestingly enough, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether or not you're really my son Esau or not. He has another opportunity to repent and to come clean, and he doesn't take it. Why do you think that Isaac is being so particular? Why is Isaac being particular in this? Yeah, he hears Jacob's voice. And what does Isaac want to make sure of? Exactly. It's not discernment as much as it is, I want to make sure this thing goes how I want it to go. You sound like Jacob. But you... Total lack of trust. And there's... Yeah, there's lack of trust. There's, there's so much inconsistency here. But you see this. It, you sound like Jacob, but you're saying you're Esau. There is a feast here. Um, Jacob can't kill an animal. He's too big of a sissy. Um, you have a hairy neck. Um, come close. Come close. I want to make sure here. You see, he's really wanting to make sure that things go the way he wants. The sad reality is that Isaac should be making sure that he's blessing Jacob. You hear that? The reality is, is that God has already ordained what God wants, and God will do what he's going to do, and he will accomplish all of his purposes, as Isaiah 46 says. And what Isaac should be doing is making sure that he's blessing Jacob, um, but he's trying to make sure that things are going his way. In a sense, Isaac is still saying, I want to make sure that it's Esau that I'm blessing and not Jacob. And in verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Uh, we find that, in fact, Isaac's concern was that it was Jacob. It wasn't, he wasn't just concerned that it wasn't Esau. He was concerned that it was Jacob. Don't miss that. Uh, and not Esau. And in a humorous turn of events, the fool is fooled. The one who's trying to pull one over on someone has one pulled over on him. That's usually what happens when we're per persisting in sin. Um, Calvin made a point. You know, here we have this old guy who's, you know, dull in his senses. He's kind of makes a goober of himself because he thinks he's about to die and he's got, you know, decades of life left. And uh, Calvin said, it pleased the Lord thus to render his senses dull, partly for the purpose of showing how vain it is for men to strive to change what was once, what he has once decreed. Because it's impossible uh, that his counsel should remain firm, that it, but that his counsel should remain firm and stable through the whole, though the whole world should oppose it. All he's saying there, as I stumbled through that horribly, is that uh, is when God says he's going to do something and this is the way that it's going to be, the entire world can oppose that. And it's still going to be that way. The world can say, well, I know that God said that, but I don't, I don't know if I'd trust that he'll actually do that, so I'm going to do this my way. It's utter foolishness. The whole world can oppose themselves to the Lord, can set themselves against the Lord, um, can try to not trust the Lord and take care of it his own way. Whatever God has said is what will happen. So for us, we need to be familiar with what God has said. What, what do the rest of our days look like? What does he promise to the life of his children? What is it going to be like when Jesus comes back? What should we expect eternally? Because guess what? That's what's going to happen. You can't change it. You can't try to muster up something else that you like better. It's an impossibility. Everything that God says will stand. And in verse 23, this is a great reminder. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau, so he blessed him. Uh, 23 and 24, the order of things seems weird. 24 says, he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it to me, uh, near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he, blessed, and he brought him wine and he drank. Um, 
we, uh, what was God's purpose from the beginning? That Jacob would be blessed. And what has been accomplished? That Jacob would be blessed. And who made fools of themselves through the whole thing? Everybody else. Everybody who wasn't keeping their eyes on the Lord and doing what he says and submitting to what he ordained. Um, Another quote said, So much the greater care ought we to take that in carrying on God's work we should not give the reins of our human to our human affections. <clears throat> Meaning that for uh, mommy to love the child who is not as manly is pretty much a good human affection. It's pretty normal. You can look at a lot of different families and the more timid child is probably going to have a close relationship with mama. I'm not trying to be stereotypical here, but it, I'm being stereotypical here. Um, the, the manly kid is going to usually generally have a better relationship with dad unless mom hunts and dad doesn't or whatever. But, um, uh, but there, there's these things that you can find yourself, you know, doing things sinfully just because it feels natural and that's not okay. That's not a good excuse. Um, there are times where our personal emotions and affections uh, would lead us to do what's contrary to God's design. That's what the family's done here. God said, this is my design. And they're saying, but I want this and I want this and I feel this and I, I have an emotion towards this. And there's a lot of disregard for what God's design is. So don't trust your instincts. Don't go with your instincts. <laughs> Sometimes your instinct is the sin that needs to be put to death and let it be redeemed and, and reconciled to God. Um, trust God implicitly. We walk by faith, not by sight. It'd be a lot easier if we walked by sight. We would know exactly how every step of the whole journey went. And we would know that when I take this step, everything is going to, nothing bad's going to happen. And it's all going to be um, clear skies and happy times. And, but the reality is we walk by faith, not by sight. Sight, in fact, is the opposite of faith in the scriptures. But we want so bad to have that sight. Isaac and Rebecca want so bad to make sure that they have the sight of the way it's going to work out. Rebecca wants so bad to make sure that Jacob is the one who is blessed. Isaac wants so bad to make sure that things are right and in the right order, in the birth order. But that's not always what's best. We should humble ourselves before the Lord and submit to him. There will be times where uh, we take a bold step forward according to what God has ordained, not really knowing what will happen, but trusting that God will accomplish all of his purposes. Um, What would a faithful and bold step have been in this exchange for Rebecca and for, for Jacob? What would that bold step have looked like? How different would things have been if that happened? Or if in his 80 opportunities to repent, Jacob did. Think about how different it would have been if she's already listening in. She's already listening in. And uh, if she went in there and said, um, God has ordained that the older will serve the younger. And sweetheart, we need to submit to the Lord. What, you're, what you just said you're going to do with Isaac isn't right. Um, uh, that would have been a very different thing if Jacob at any point in time would have said, um, I, 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 I'm not going to do this. Dad, it's Jacob. Yes, I sound like Jacob. I, I'm an idiot. I have goat hair all over me. I shouldn't have done this. Um, it would have turned out different. Um, Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. Uh, that's his kid. 
Yeah. 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 That's a good place to, to just kind of come to a stopping point tonight. Is that it did fall on his on uh, on his shoulders. Um, one other thing, and and then we'll close with that. That there are some dynamics within the family that probably would have made it very awkward for the wife to go to the husband at this point in time. And in, in this biblical setting, um, in Genesis 27, it probably would have been a little weird for Rebecca to go in and rebuke Isaac. However, she's fine with deceitfully lying to him. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I want us to make sure we see that, like, sure, it'd be a great picture of her going in and, um, Isaac, this is wrong. And, and the, that, that probably, you know, given the times, there, there would have been some cultural things that made that not as accepted. However, she was totally fine lying to him and being deceitful and playing the kids against daddy. And so there's, a, there's so much deceit and lying here that the only remedy is to keep your eyes on the Lord. And that's where it is a great point to end, that it fell on the husband's shoulders. I mean, we should read this. Guys, we should read this and feel the weight of it. Because when we go back to that First Peter 3, 7, it's, it's live with your wife in an understanding way, showing her honor, husbands. Like, yeah, there's submission to loving authority. There's submission to treating her like porcelain and knowing that God wants to use her as a vessel as he sees fit whenever he sees fit. And you need to have her ready for that. And she is very valuable to the Lord, yet like porcelain. And you need to be careful and you need to treat her delicate like you would something you love and something you care for and something that the Lord has said, that's really important. Be careful. So the call is very high. It's very, very high. And it does fall on Isaac's shoulders. Ultimately, Isaac should have been leading the home in a way where they were living together in an understanding way, where there was a godly submission and where there was a godly leadership in place that pointed to the Lord regularly. Because you won't live in an understanding way with anybody when you take the Lord out of the equation. It doesn't happen. And that's what they've done here. So we'll pick up on this again next week. It's a, it's a crazy chapter, um, but cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's exactly right. The the, the <laughs> The insight we have now, this side of Jesus, makes it even worse when we live like boneheads like this, where we're not living in an understanding way, where we're domineering and not gentle or not submissive or spiteful or um, self-seeking. In light of what Christ has shown us, you know, the call to love your wife as Christ loved the church and the call to, for the bride to submit to the husband as the church submits to the loving care of Christ, we have so much insight there now that on this side of all of that, we should feel the weight of it. It shouldn't be something we walk away with lightly, like, oh, yeah, that'd be good. I'm going to try that. I'm going to give that a go. No, no, we're really called to this every moment of every day. And um, when we disregard it and, and walk another way for a season, you find that the household can really be in a place of calamity and, and deceitfulness and, and lying. Does anyone else have any thoughts or questions before we close? Cool. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for tonight. Uh, we thank you for your word. My prayer is that you would find us all submitting to you and to your ways and worrying a lot less about ourselves. I pray that we would care about being understood, and I pray that we would care about understanding others. But I pray that it wouldn't just be about us or others, but it would be all in light of you and who you are and how we've been changed and redeemed as vessels to be used, as vessels of mercy, filled up by you and poured out as you see fit. Um, Lord, I know personally, I'm just generally way more hard-hearted than walking in that step every day. And I, give me one bad hour and I'm going to be more self-seeking than I was before. And I'm going to take my eyes off of you. And Lord, just the confession is we desperately need you. We confess and know that without Christ, we're completely incapable of the things you call us to. But we know that in Christ... We're equipped perfectly, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And uh, 
Lord, we, we ultimately want to live and desire to live according to our created purpose, which is to put your glory on display in everything. Um, help us to learn in this chapter where we see that not being done. Help us to learn from mistakes in the same way we would in our own lives as we look at their lives. And uh, help us to walk in truth and in light. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.